My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Welcome to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church there in Miamville, Pennsylvania. Have you ever felt that you wanted to serve the Lord, but you were unworthy to do so? Consider the following scenario. A person who did not understand what it means to be saved comes to know and understand the gospel. So he repents of his sin, asks Christ to be the Lord and master of his life, and is born again. After conversion, he is so excited about knowing the Lord that he wants everyone else to know Christ too. Yet, as he begins to share his newfound faith in Christ, he runs into several people who react harshly to his concern for their souls. Some of these conflicts may happen between the new believer and his closest friends and family members. This can cause confusion and disillusionment in the heart of this baby Christian. At first, he reads his Bible sometimes for hours at a time, trying to gain as much knowledge about Christ as he can, yet it is often the case that over time the new believer's zeal begins to cool. His excitement for Christ could wane due to some distractions like a new relationship or a new job that takes much of his time and attention away from the Lord. Further, this Christian, like every other child of God, will at times struggle with sinful habits and attitudes that need to be conquered. The further he drifts from his close walk with Christ, the more he seems to lose the battles with sin. Sometimes after another loss to a bad habit, the child of God can come to the conclusion that God could never use him because he has sinned too many times against Christ to ever hope again to be close to the Lord. Have you ever been there? A biblical character who seems to fit this picture is the Apostle Peter is seen in our text today from the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. I hope you'll watch Jesus handle Peter in his discouragement as we examine the subject, the call to complete surrender. Hi, I'm Pastor Lane Jones from Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. I'd like to welcome you to our Beacon of Hope broadcast. And uh, for the last few weeks, with the exception of last week when we took a, a, a week to look at a sermon on Thanksgiving, uh, but over the last several weeks we've been looking at the life of Christ, by just kind of walking behind him and watching what he does. And so we come to another one of those um, accounts from the life of Christ with um, the call to discipleship for the Apostle Peter. And it's a very interesting um, account because there is some uh, controversy as to when this took place in Peter's life and if, in fact, this is the same as an incident found in the other Gospels. And so we're going to start this morning by go ahead and I'm just going to read you the passage. We're going to kind of give you an overall view of what's going on. I'm going to look at a different passage that talks about a call of Peter and other disciples. And then we're going to see if we think that it's the same account or a different account, because that's going to enter in, I think, in understanding the passage in front of us today. So I'm going to start by reading this account. It's in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we ask for your help as we look into your word. We ask that you'll guide us and direct us as we, uh, by your spirit, that we might not only understand what it says, but through, again, your ability to uh, pierce the human heart, that you would uh, teach us how it applies to our lives today. To each individual listener, we pray that you'll bless our time together. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me just go over some basic events, uh, basic uh, points that happened during this event in Simon Peter's life. Uh, First of all, you have Jesus teaching a huge crowd and deciding to use Peter's boat. Uh, Then Jesus, after he's done teaching, encourages Peter to fish. Actually says, how about, you know, know, go out into the deep and and actually he's going to fish with him. Peter then finds this miraculous catch. He asks Jesus to leave him. And we'll have to think about why he did that. And then Jesus will help Peter. He says, I'm going to help you catch men. And, and Peter, James, and John, and probably Andrew, Peter's brother, is, is in the mix here as well, although he's not mentioned. But at least we know these three, Peter, James, and John, forsook all at that point to follow Jesus. Um, now, I'd like to take you to a different passage. It's in John chapter 1. And this is the Apostle John's account of Jesus and Peter meeting for the first time. Or at least it seems to be the first time uh, when you read it. It's in John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 35 to 42. If you're not very familiar with your Bible, you're able to find the Gospel of Luke. John is the next book beyond the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 1, and I'm starting at verse 35, it says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, this can be a little confusing, but the John that is being mentioned in verse 35 is not the Apostle John, it's John the Baptist, a, a prophet. And John the Baptist's uh, ministry was to identify Jesus as the Messiah and to prepare people to embrace him, uh, to have forgiveness of their sins so they were ready for God's kingdom. And so John the Baptist is standing there with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, he walked. as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said unto them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to be translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, as you briefly consider this text in the Apostle John, what I'd like to ask you to have ask yourself is, 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 is John describing the same incident or is it a different incident from the uh, from Peter's life? Is is this in, in Luke chapter five where Jesus takes him out um, and uh, gets get into gets into his boat and then and asks Peter to go out and fish uh, uh, after he's done teaching? 
Is this the same incident as what John is describing when Peter seems to just first meet Jesus? And um, I would say that these accounts do not look similar. And to get what I'm driving at, you're going to need one more uh, piece of information, and that is uh, which seems to have happened first. And um, it's, there's a lot of scholars who are far more accomplished than myself, and, and so uh, there's some very good helps out there. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a harmony of the Gospels, but there are different um, scholars who studied the life of Christ in great detail, and they've put together a, um, a uh, kind of a, a chronological order of Jesus' life, uh, uh, taking into account all of the Gospel messages. And I will tell you that in um, my harmony of the Gospels, that, again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think they uh, have, have done some serious homework on this, and I would agree with this. Uh, these seem to be two different incidents, and it seems to be that uh, John is describing Jesus and Peter meeting for the first time. When Andrew, remember, says, uh, come and see. He, he he wants Peter to come and uh um, and and get to get to know Jesus, uh, and so P, uh, Peter does it. He he comes along, and he and and Jesus meets him and says, "You are Cephas, you're like a stone." Now, one of the major reasons why I would say these are two different events is because John the Baptist is is doing his prophecy and, and his ministry is basically in the wilderness of Judea, which is in southern Israel, and in Luke's account, we're told that Jesus was preaching. When uh, he uh, gets into Peter's boat at uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is called in, in Luke's account the, the Lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee. And so we're looking at, and that's in northern Israel. So we're looking at two different places that seem to be uh, miles apart. And so I would submit that it's very likely that this is not the same incident and that John's account, when Jesus calls Peter a stone, that happens earlier than what we're reading about in Luke. Now, why would that be important? Because it seems that the Apostle Peter and maybe very possibly James and John as well, possibly Andrew, had come to know who Jesus was, had come to believe in him. Matter of fact, it seems that they may have been following him at least part-time because they seem to be at his very first miracle up in Galilee in, in Cana, when he makes water into wine. And so it seems like these men were following him, but maybe not uh, full-time yet. And, and that would certainly be understandable with Peter, because Peter's married. Uh, we're told that uh, Jesus healed his uh, mother-in-law, and so you certainly wouldn't want to be um, have a mother-in-law without being married. So it's pretty obvious that Peter has a wife. And you can understand, as a married man, uh, how much time can you devote to following Jesus, um, especially uh, uh, before the events in Luke chapter 5. And so here, you know, I want you to picture then, Peter has come to know Jesus as the Messiah. He believes in him. He's, been, he's seen a miracle. He's already seen the, uh, the changing of the water into wine. He's had to speak with him. Jesus has, has outlined the fact of his character, that you're going to be like a rock, Peter. And um, so that's encouraging. And yet we see Peter back on the Sea of Galilee at his job um, fishing when Jesus stops by. And from Peter's reaction to Jesus' miracle on, on Peter's own behalf, it seems to me that Peter is struggling with commitment to the Lord. I, I think he had a love for Jesus. I think he had faith in Christ and who he was. 
but maybe he couldn't figure out, how do I do this? Uh, how do I follow Jesus uh, like I'd like to um, with, with a wife? Uh, we don't know if he had any children or not at this point, but, but uh, what do I do? How do I handle this? I've got to make sure my family uh, has food on the table. Um, I need to, I need to, to know what, what I, I'm supposed to do here. Maybe uh, Peter has gotten discouraged. Maybe there's been some sin that's come into his life, and he was so excited at one point. I will tell you this, it is possible to come to know Christ as Savior and yet struggle to be surrendered to him. And I think that's what we're seeing in Luke chapter 5, is a man that loves the Lord, desires to please him, and yet has gotten um, derailed as far as knowing what to do. And so put yourself in Peter's sandals as we go back to Luke chapter 5 and look again at this account in more detail. First of all, you're Peter, you're, you've kind of gone back to fishing, you're, you're at the side of the sea and you're, you've gotten out of the boat because you've got to mend your nets, it's a common thing that needs to be done. And who comes to teach near you but Jesus himself? Here he comes. Verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And of course, that's the lake that Peter would fish on, the Sea of Galilee, it's also known as. And so see those multitudes of people. And many of them are coming uh, to be healed or to have their loved one healed. Others may be coming to hear the word of God. There definitely would be curious people coming as to who this person is and, and wanting to see what was going on. Maybe they've heard many things about Jesus. There may be others in, in the crowd who are, are critical of Christ, looking for any kind of a, of a fault in him or something that they could criticize to their peers. Many of the religious leaders were in that boat. So you see these multitudes, and you also see their interest in the word of God because it says that they pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God. Again, there's no amplification system, and the uh, sea itself is going to have, uh, just even with the, uh, the lap of the water against the shore, there's going to be some noise there. There could be um, uh, birds around, as there often are, um, on a body of water like that. Um, people are having a hard time hearing. And as, as the crowd is pressing around our Lord, that makes it even harder. Because if you know anything about how sound travels, many times the human, human bodies in an audience are just going to absorb those sound waves. And so Christ decides to, um, to get off of, of the shore and to preach out of a boat. And guess whose boat he picks? He singles you out if you're in Peter's sandals. He singles Peter out. And so in verse 2 it says, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He picked Peter's boat and got into that boat and asked him to put out a little from the land. So evidently Peter um, uh, maybe came up when Jesus uh, was was looking at his boat. Maybe Jesus uh, briefly just said, Hey, could I borrow your boat? And maybe Peter was more than glad because of Again, his faith and love in the Lord, it seems they've already met. Um, he's glad to let the Lord use his boat. Certainly wanted to hear Jesus teach, and so he seems to drop uh, working on the nets for a few minutes, and he's going to get in the boat and, and push Jesus a little off from land so that our Lord can speak and, uh, and not be so hemmed in by the people. So it says, um, he got in the boat, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. So Peter's obviously in the boat with him. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. 
And so here Jesus is teaching then to, te- to, uh, to uh, choosing to teach out of Peter's boat. He's asking Peter for his help. Um, could I use your boat? And, and Peter is in the boat helping him out now. So he's gotten up, he's gotten into the boat, he's helping our Lord. But then at the end of his teaching, verse 4, when he'd stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He invites Peter to go fishing with him. And it's kind of interesting here. It appears that Peter um, is not all that excited about fishing. Now, he's a fisherman by trade, and certainly when you do something every day, um, it can be a little old to you. But at the same time, here's the the greatest teacher, the miracle worker, the Son of God himself, and I believe Peter believes in him. And yet Peter says um, in verse 5, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, think about this. Uh, from a from a family man's perspective, he very well may have come back home in order to provide for his wife. We don't know again if they had any children or not. But Peter is is trying to uh, make uh, provision for his family. I'm I'm sure that that this is his occupation, and so he's gone out. He's worked uh, all night fishing and gotten nothing. And how is he going to follow the Lord uh, with nothing to uh, for uh, no no form of income at this point? And so here he is. He's he's, he's obviously discouraged. He says we've 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 toiled all night. We found nothing. Caught nothing. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. He but he goes. He answers kind of himself at this point. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So Lord, you tell me where to let down the net, and I'll do it. And so you see in Peter's decision here, uh, yes, discouragement. Um, again, maybe he's drifted from the Lord some, and he's very discouraged about how do I do this? How do I be a follower of Christ? And and at the same time, uh, feed my family, make sure my wife is taken care of. Uh, but he says, you know what, Lord, you tell me where to let down the net, and I'll do it. And, and of course, he's seen a miracle before, and, and I don't know if he's anticipating. Sometimes the disciples uh, would, would become hard-hearted, the Bible talks about. And that can be anything from uh, a sin or even maybe discouragement. But for whatever reason, Peter says, okay, I'll, I'll let down the net when you tell me to do it. And verse 6 tells us, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so let's go back and think about this for a second. Peter seems to be discouraged. He seems to uh, be wondering, what's going on in my life? How how am I going to serve God? I I, I believe in Jesus. I believe who he is. Uh, I've got to feed my family. Uh, Maybe he feels that that, uh, God isn't close to him. He doesn't have a direction. And yet here comes Jesus to teach near you. You know, of all the places he could have have taught on the shore, what does he do? He comes up near where you're working. And then what does Jesus do? He singles out your boat. He decides to use your boat to preach out of and asks you for, evidently, for your help. So you hop in the boat with him and you push out from shore and you listen to him teach again. And then Christ says, hey, let's go fishing Um, And, of course, Peter discouragedly says, well, you know, we haven't got anything, but you know what? You tell me where to let down the net and I'll do it. And here comes this tremendous blessing as they've enclosed a great number of fish so that their net was breaking. Now, there is a rather interesting uh, uh, textual issue here. 
There's a, uh, if you have the modern translations, they don't make a differentiation between uh, when Jesus says uh, in verse f- 4, he says, let down your nets in the King James and the New King James. In some of the modern translations, it just has net singular. And I, I find it interesting. It's very possible that our Lord was telling Peter to let down more than one net. <laughs> he was saying, actually, Peter, let down what you've got. And Peter, he seems to say, well, I'll let down a net. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw one down. And that's, in my opinion, why the net starts to break, because he really didn't have enough faith to obey the Lord completely and to let all of his nets out. But by simple obedience, at least he's letting the net out. Here you gather this miraculous catch of fish. And again, Peter's faith may not have been great here, but and he may not have expected anything to happen, uh, and, and why? Well, we don't really know. Is it his lack of anticipation due to some failure in his life where he feels like I'm unworthy? Uh, maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel like, well, I, I don't expect God to help me. I've I've sinned so greatly against the Lord. And, and if I asked you, well, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have, have you been born again? Some of you would say, yes, I have. I have given my life to Christ. But boy, that just it, it, I, I just don't feel close to the Lord. It, seems like things have come between me and God, and many of them are my own decisions. I've made foolish decisions. Maybe with relationships, or you've made foolish decisions allowing some bad habit in your life, or you've allowed busyness to crowd out time with God. And so um, here, here you, you've, you've drifted, and you feel like, well, God's not going to help me. And yet here Jesus is out in the boat with, with Peter, who seems to be kind of in that, in that um, frame of mind where... Uh, it seems to be confused and not really knowing what God wants him to do with his life and maybe feeling very unworthy. He has some, maybe some sin has come into his life. And here he is. He, he, all of a sudden, the Lord works on his behalf, and he has this huge catch of fish coming in. Their net was breaking, the scripture says in verse 6. And your, your, your blessings were so great that, that Jesus gave Peter here that they were spilling out and blessing other people because it says when they, um, so they called their uh, partners in the other boat, that would be James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. These, they had so many fish in these boats that, that they're, they're like right at water level. And they got to get them to the shore real quick and empty them out before, before the, the boats go below the water. And I don't think they did, but it's, isn't it interesting? This is how greatly... Jesus multiplied the blessing upon Peter. It spilled right over to other people. Now, what's Peter's response to seeing Jesus work so wonderfully on his behalf? Verse 8, when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's interesting. He said to Jesus, Leave me. I don't think that Peter wanted Jesus to leave in in a very real sense. I think he loved the Lord, and he loved him greatly. And you will find this when you look at the Apostle Peter's uh, life and and words with with, with Christ um, over over the uh, the period of Jesus' ministry. But it's interesting at that moment, with evidently some sin on his mind, because he says, I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's saying, Lord, leave me. I'm not worthy of being around you. 
Maybe that's why he didn't really want to go fishing with the Lord. It's like I, I feel unworthy to be around him. And maybe some of you feel that way. The truth is, you're you're at home today, um, listening to the radio and listening to a radio preacher. You maybe didn't figure out why you're doing it, but you're not in church because you don't feel worthy to be in church. Well, let me just say this: nobody that goes into church is worthy in their own merits to be there. It is only through the blood of Christ and His sacrifice for us. We're not we're not any of us worthy to walk into church. And I will tell you this by personal experience. There have been times when I have literally had to drag myself to church I, I, as the pastor. And I'm going to preach the sermon. And I have found many, many times in those lowest times when you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And you feel like just so far from God. It's amazing how the Lord does something like he does with Peter here. And that is just steps in and encourages you when you're not trying to play the hypocrite, you just know you're unworthy. You know you failed the Lord, and I'm not. I'm not trying to put on an act. I, I'm not trying to do that. But I, I know that I'm not worthy. Well, that's where Peter's at. So in Mark chapter one and verse twenty-four, there's somebody else who said, "Leave me." Listen to this one. It says and saying, uh, um, back in verse twenty-three. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, "Let us alone." What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And that, that same spirit, that, that demonic spirit in this case, is saying, leave us, get it, leave us alone. Please don't, don't, don't stay around us. In Luke chapter 8, which is a little beyond this incident, in verse 28, and I'll also read a verse from verse 37, you have something similar. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 28. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, this is a man with, with many demons in him, he cried out, fell down before him, and, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. What's he saying? Lord, I don't want to be around you. Verse 37, Then the, uh, I'm skipping down, Then the whole multitude, this is after that man was freed from his demonic uh, 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 possession, the whole multitude, these are the people in that area of the surrounding regions of the gatherings, asked him, asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that this it's not a, a super uncommon thing for someone to come in contact with the Lord or representative of the Lord and feel very uncomfortable. Feel like you know what? I am not worthy to be around this this person. And you think of how much more so when Peter is encountering the Son of God Himself. So in Peter's case, it's an honest expression of his heart that had been humbled through God's goodness, despite his failure to live up to God's holy expectations. And Peter knows it. And to those of you who feel that you are unworthy to receive God's blessings or to be used by God, well, just join the club because the reality is none of us are worthy. That's where we all are. So why does Jesus, does Peter say that the Lord should depart from him? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm unworthy to be your follower. Peter is saying, I do, I, 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 I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy to follow you. It's not that he doesn't want to follow the Lord. He is saying, I, I can't live up to it. I'm a sinful man. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. 
I'm going to give you two other passages that kind of um, relate to this subject of our unworthiness uh, before God to do anything for him. And the first is in Romans chapter 2, and listen to verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his, God's goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That's exactly what Jesus was doing here. He was being good to Peter. He was showing Peter, I, I still love you. I can use you. When Peter is thinking, you can't use me, Lord. I'm not good enough. And the reality is, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord, and we need to realize, hey, none of us, it's not like God's looking at us and saying, wow, there's a guy I could really use. No, we're all weak. We all fail um, to, to live up to uh, God's standards. We do. But thank the Lord, he can change us. He can make us more and more like him and into his image. And he was going to do this for Peter over years and the rest of Peter's life. Listen to James talk about this. James chapter 4, verse 6, and I'm going to read down to verse 10. James, who, by the way, was a half-brother of Christ, would become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He says, but he gives more grace. Speaking of God, God gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, is Peter proud here or humble here? I think it's pretty obvious. He's humble. He, he thinks, oh, boy, I can't, I can't do this. I can't serve the Lord. I'm not good enough. And he's right on that. But at least he's got some humility. At least he's got a heart that, that wants to do the right thing, even if he's afraid to do it, even if he thinks he's unworthy to do it. But God resists the proud. That's the person that doesn't get used, the, the proud person. He gives grace to the humble. Grace is the idea of help that we, we don't deserve. Verse 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the devil wanted Peter to get away from Jesus. The devil wanted to drive a wedge between Peter and Christ in Peter's mind. Christ wasn't driving that wedge. And so maybe Satan has done the same with you. Yes, you failed. You've, you've, you've failed to live up to God's standards and you know it. Well, let me say this. That's a good thing if you know it, because there's a lot of people out there that think that they're somehow God's gift to God himself. And that's just ridiculous. They think that they're somehow uh, uh, that God should be excited about having him or her on 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 His side. Uh, no, God resists the proud. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I'm, I'm in James chapter 4. I'm still reading down. I'm going to go one more verse. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, even though Peter is uh, mouthing out, Lord, depart from me, uh, actually what he's doing is, is he's humbling himself before the Lord, and that makes him all the more usable in Christ's sight. The sin issue obviously needs to be dealt with. And Jesus dealt with the sin issue on the cross. He died for your sins and for mine. The Bible says that God uh, demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we were good people. He died for us because we are sinners. Jesus has paid for the penalty for your sins and for mine. And so he really can change us. Now, it's not, it's, we're not saying this. We're not saying that Peter is just going to live his ungodly life and, he's, and then he's going to be an apostle at the same time. No, there's probably some things he's going to have to forsake. 
some of the, whatever sin is on his mind, whatever whatever evil that he's been up to that is displeasing to God, yeah, he's going to have to put that aside. And God will continue to work in this man's life to help him to overcome sin and, and wrong. It's kind of interesting. I was just reading my devotions. I'm trying to think, I think it was just this morning in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. But Peter doesn't understand that God deals with all people of all nations on the same level. That really wasn't understood yet. This is an area that Peter needed to grow in. And so the Lord gives him a special vision, does a bunch of special circumstances just to show him a new area of growth in his life. And that is, guess what? Something, by the way, that that because we're 2,000 years later, we are blessed to really have this as much of our Christian culture and that is that all men are created equal. That is something that, that we've been saying in our country for a couple hundred years. But let me say that was revolutionary. When, when the Lord uh, appears to Peter and says to him, uh, what I've called clean, don't you call common. And he's not merely talking about food there, although that would be uh, an important issue. But he's talking about people. And so that... That and, and Peter will say, when he goes and he's going to talk to Cornelius, who's a Roman, he's not Jewish, he's going to talk to him about Christ. When he does that, he says, God has shown me that God is does not show favoritism toward people. Isn't that interesting? Here, an area that Peter needed to grow in. So when Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, yeah, there are a lot of issues in his life, a lot of things that God's going to deal with. It'll take a lifetime for him, and it'll take a lifetime for us, too, as we work through the different things that God wants to make different in our lives to make us more like Jesus himself. So here you, here Peter was. He's, he um, has, has, has come to know the Lord earlier. He's, he's gotten somehow a little bit derailed, not knowing what to do. Christ comes and actually shows up and is teaching right near his boat, asks Peter to use his boat. Uh, then after teaching, he goes out and gives him this wonderful catch of fish. And by the way, think about this. How would that help him provide for his wife? And any other loved ones whose mouths needed to be fed while Peter is serving the Lord. That huge catch of fish very possibly might have been used to help uh, supply the physical needs of people in Peter's family, Andrew, his brother, also James and John. But then, when Peter is saying this, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, then we get that Jesus now is calling Peter to something higher than merely a great catch of fish. uh, Now, it says in the middle of of Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid that he was not worthy to serve the Lord. That's what he just said. I depart from you. I'm a sinful man. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Jesus is calling Peter to something higher. He's saying, Don't be afraid that you're not good enough. Don't be afraid that you're not strong enough. Our strength is not in ourselves. It is in the Lord within us. You say, well, I know a lot of Christian people, and boy, they have a lot of failures. Yes, that's correct. And without God controlling us, those those errors and those um, sins, they will be evident to many. But I will tell you that as God works in the believer's life, they become more like Christ. That's the whole purpose. And the more we become like Christ, then the stronger we will get. You say, well, what about the Christian? And they and they drift from the Lord. They, they go the wrong direction and they don't come back. Well, I will tell you, they will run into chastening from the Lord. 
And that chastening will again be used to keep them from drifting farther from the Lord than they would have without it. God's chastening, God's God's punishment upon his children is done in love so that we will see our need to, again, get back to becoming more like Christ. So Jesus is calling Peter. He's saying, don't be afraid. He says, you're going to catch men. What does he mean by that? He's saying, you will help save souls. Now, we're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, but we can talk about him. And Peter would be able to talk about him one day. He's, what Jesus is saying is, is I want to, to make you into a fisher of men. I want you to become a person who's going to help other people find the Lord. And Jesus is talking about himself, and he's talking about uh, God the Father as well. You're going you're gonna to help in this battle for the souls of men. I'm so glad that the Lord called me to that battle. I'm glad. And by the way, if you're a true born-again child of God, you're called to that same battle. You're called to the battle for the souls of men because people on their own are not coming to Christ. They need help. They need someone who will fish for them. They need someone who will tell them. And I want you to be honest with yourself for a moment. Have you ever felt like Peter? Have you ever felt unworthy to to walk closely with the Lord, much less serve him? And when you say to yourself that at times, God, I just think you're going to have to leave me. I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. Maybe you felt unworthy. Remember what the Lord said to Peter when he humbled himself, fear not. Do not be afraid, Peter. Do not be afraid. Maybe you also would rather that the Lord would just leave you alone and, and let you muddle through this life doing your normal job. Maybe that's your your desire. You know, I, 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 I want to go to heaven, but I really don't want to serve God while I'm on earth. Well, can I be honest? I think you need to check if the fact if you've really truly been born again. Because when you have received salvation yourself why are you not interested in trying to help other people if you understood that god rescued you from hell why wouldn't you want to help rescue other people you know it's funny how um how we are you come across some good product my mom has been having problems with her knees she's 85 years old i mean nope she just turned 86 and so um here she is she's got problems with her knees and and uh, so it's hard for her to get around well i have uh, gotten some thing and whether there's a placebo effect or not it seems to have helped me i had some shoulder issues a uh, person in my church recommended this particular uh, supplement whatever it was i took it and whether there was different circumstances or not i felt much better now when i see my mom having a need of her joints hurting guess what i recommended the same thing that seemed to help me now, if you put a gun to my head and you said, are you absolutely certain that this product was what uh, made your shoulder feel better? I, I couldn't say that for certain. But I would say this. It, it, I was at least encouraged enough by the, when I started taking this, my shoulder felt better that I thought, you know what? I should get my mom to take the same chance. And I was willing to buy it for, I forget if I did or not, but I, but I was more than happy to give her something that might be of help to her. Now, if you have received salvation, if you've received eternal life, and you know that you've been rescued from hell, and you're on your way to heaven, why in the world wouldn't you want to share that with somebody around you? Why wouldn't you be concerned about whether your spouse knows the Lord? Why wouldn't you be concerned about whether your brother or sister, or your aunt or uncle, or your grandparents know the Lord, or your grandchildren? The person who has no burden for the lost, I really wonder if they truly know the Lord as Savior. 
So Jesus is saying to Peter, don't be afraid, Peter. I'm going to help, I'm going to help you to be able to catch men. I'm going to help you to be able to represent me to reap other people's souls for the eternal kingdom. And I would submit to you that is something that is not just for the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John or for the pastors. It is something for every Christian. And let me say why I say that. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and I'm reading verses 18 to 20, which is commonly called the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and this them is a whole group of people. It's not just merely the twelve disciples. All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now think about this. Then the apostles, and there's not just the apostles, there's other group, uh, other people here. I think there was some uh, 500, I think, at this time. And so there's this large group of people. Jesus is saying, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to tell people and help make disciples out of all the nations of the world. And Christians have been doing that down through the centuries. And then he said, I want you to baptize them. You'll notice that baptism is coming after uh, the idea of becoming a disciple. So salvation is preceding the baptism there. But, that, but let's keep going. He said, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then I want you to teach them to observe what? All things whatsoever I've commanded you. So the very same uh, message that I gave to you, you're to give to the nations of the world and tell the nations of the world who come to know me to do the same thing. And I want you to think about how much better a plan that is than to, quote, leave it up to the professionals. Let's just say if you, and we've done this in our church, so I'll just kind of describe it for you. Right around the first of the year, sometimes we'll do a little candlelight service. Um, you know, just kind of recognizing the um, going out of the old year and, and bringing the, the new. But but often as, as we're lighting the candles, and probably some of you have been part of a service like that, I've used the illustration during that time that, okay, uh, I've got the, say that I've got the first candle lit, all right? And... If it's just me, if I'm the only one in this community that is trying to reach others for Christ, that light's pretty dim. But then as we start sharing the light, as I give it to uh, my candle, light somebody else's, and that person turns around and lights the next person, then the next person then uh, uh, gets their candle lit by the person in front of them, what you find is within a few moments that the room is beginning to be filled with light. And it's all candlelight. But the number of candles that are now being lit, because everybody is a light, is much, much greater than when I was the only light. Folks, that's really what's supposed to happen in the Christian church. What's supposed to happen is not that the pastor runs around, as we used to say, like a chicken with his head cut off, uh, trying to help everybody. What really is supposed to happen is that the pastor is supposed to be teaching the people of God, how to live for the Lord in order that they might go out and be a, a blessing to their friends and their neighbors and their circle of influence and that the light might get shared uh, from one person at, at a time. Now, where do I get this from? In Ephesians chapter 4, it's uh, the Apostle Paul under inspiration is, is outlining the gifts of the, uh, that God gives to the church. 
And he says this, and he, speaking of Christ here, uh, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, these are the speaking gifts in the church. The idea of these are the people that are kind of in front of everybody and they're leading the church, and specifically on the local level, pastors and teachers, um, that's, that's, that really is the same office in all probability. And, and the idea is that here's the pastor and he's teaching his people. Okay, but what are we doing? This what, Why did Christ give these gifts to the church? He goes on, for the edif- he goes on, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, think about that. Why am I pastoring a church? So I can equip the saints so they will work the ministry. That's the point. It's not that we're all going to just try to rope people in to come into church and get more and more people coming to church, and that's somehow a standard of success. The reality is my job is to teach believers in Christ who are already trying to be disciples how they can work the ministry in their own lives, in their own families, in their own workplace, in their own uh, where they where they play, that all of us would would become more like Christ and therefore work the ministry as individuals. So he says they gave them to all these spiritual gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and that's what we ought to be doing. That's and that's what Peter was actually going to be called to do um, after Jesus' resurrection. He's he's calling him to shepherd to be a to be a pastor. And Peter would uh, follow in the Lord's uh, command and would actually do that. So uh, maybe you felt this way. You felt unworthy to, to walk closely with the Lord. You felt in your mind, I, I, I just need to kind of walk away because I'm, not, I'm never going to measure up. Notice what Jesus says, fear not. Don't be afraid. I want to make you a fisher of men. Maybe you felt that the Lord should uh, just leave you alone and let you muddle through life on your, on your own. Oh, no, thank God he doesn't. Thank God that maybe even today, by the very fact that you're listening to this message, that you're understanding Jesus actually is passing by me right now. He's talking to me. And he's saying, okay, you've come to know me. You know me as your Savior. Uh, Now I want you to serve me. I want you to to, uh, throw aside these weights that are are hindering you. And let's get moving for, for the Lord. Because in, in Luke chapter 5, we have one more verse that says, So when they had brought their boats to land, this would be Peter, and we know James and John were there, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus is saying, I want you to save, help me save souls. How, and how would you reply? Oh, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. Or, Jesus, I'm a sinful person. I don't deserve you. That's what Peter's saying. But Jesus is willing to work with this man because he was humble, because he was willing to to turn around and 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 follow the Lord, and Jesus knew that. And if you want to walk with Christ, if you want to be loyal to Him, but you know at the same time you fall woefully short, you just might be the one that Christ is looking for right now. And what will your response be? Will you do like Peter chose to do and set your earthly goals aside and say, you know what, the biggest thing I could do in life is to help other people find Jesus. And so whether I'm at work or at play, whether I'm at home or, or wherever I'm at, may God help me to, to be involved in, in, in the rescue of people, to be, just be a light for Jesus, to love people in Jesus' name and to speak when he gives me opportunity and even pray for and seek opportunities. Some of you may even be called into a, a, a teaching or preaching ministry like Peter was. 
Not everybody's called to do that, but we're all called to be a witness. But will you follow Jesus like Peter did? Will you, and how, you say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's kind of interesting. There's a, a two passages of Scripture, and I'm just going to have to mention them to you. They're Ephesians chapter 5, and you would start at verse 17. You go all the way to chapter 6 and verse 9. And there's a second passage, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, all the way to chapter 4 and verse 2. And what they talk about is very practical terms on how to follow Christ and how to obey God in specific areas of your life. The first area in Ephesians chapter 5 is, believe it or not, the area of music. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, a lot of Christians, unfortunately, never surrender things like their music to the Lord. And so they listen to all kinds of filth and anti-God things, and then they wonder why they struggle with their thought life. Well, duh. You know, what you put into your mind is what you're going to think about. And if you're thinking about things that are wicked, if that's what you're letting run through your mind, then don't be surprised if you have evil thoughts. Maybe some of you need to surrender that. Then there's a very practical thing about your marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, gives talks to wives and husbands and and how they have different roles and how they should uh, serve God in marriage. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if every Christian couple that was truly born again would, would follow what God tells them about marriage? Isn't that a very practical way to follow the Lord? Uh, chapter 6 and verse 3 of Ephesians, it deals with children. Children needing to obey their parents, to honor their father and mother. Uh, this is, a, again, a way to follow Jesus in the home. Then in chapter 6, verse 4, uh, the Lord deals with fathers specifically, talking about don't uh, stir your children up to wrath. Sometimes as dads, we can be uh, too hard on our kids. We can we can just really uh, uh, grind them down and make them bitter. And God is telling fathers, don't do that. Very practical way to, to follow the Lord. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 5 to 9, he talks about the job. So how are you serving God at work? Are you treating, if you're an employer, are you treating your employees with respect? And kindness. If you're an employee, are you being a good worker? Are you being faithful when your employer is not watching? These are issues of how to serve God at the job. And then you got to chapter 6, verse 18. We serve God through prayer, through bringing our burdens to the Lord and talking to him about them. And so these are wonderful ways that we uh, are able to to, uh, look to the Lord and in a very practical way begin to follow him and follow him loyally um, in obedience. So what do we conclude from this? Well, first of all, Peter felt totally inadequate to be blessed by God or to be used by God. And if you feel the same, again, you are correct that you are not worthy. But number two, we have to see from this passage that God often uses the weak and the unworthy. He does. And it brings glory to him, and it brings meaning to your life, Yes, you may have failed in the past, but God can and is willing to use you if you'll have enough faith to follow him. Conclusion number three, upon hearing Christ's call, Peter forsook the insignificant for the eternally significant. He threw aside what really is not going to matter 100 years from now from what's going to matter for eternity. And I would just encourage, I'd beg you as, as a Christian, if you know Christ as Savior, that you truly would, would do that. That you would say, you know what, I, I, it's not worth it. To, some of these things that I'm hanging on to, that are keeping me from really having the peace of, of God and the joy of God in my heart, I'm going to throw that aside. I'm going to do like Peter and forsake those kind of things and follow Jesus. 
I'm going to try to obey him in my home. I'm going to put aside my pride and how I talk to my spouse. I'm going to put aside my ego when I'm, when I'm uh, disciplining my kids. I'm going to try to follow Jesus. And when I, make it, when I do something wrong, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to get it right with whoever I sinned against. And I'm going to move on. That's what God wants us to, to do. He wants us to think that way. So upon hearing call, Jesus' call, Peter forsakes what's not going to matter for eternity for what is going to matter for eternity. And let's apply this in three different ways. First of all, are you humbled before God? Oh, I pray so. And some of you may not even know Jesus yet as Savior. You need the introduction. But if you understand that you are not worthy of God's heaven, and you understand that you've sinned against God repeatedly, and you want to be forgiven, let me tell you, that's exactly why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Luke 19 and verse 10. He says, um, I've come to seek and to save the lost. If you're in that category where you're, you're, you, you have no um, uh, assurance that you're on your way to heaven, no, no uh, biblical reason why you should go, um, other than the hope that maybe God will show mercy to you. Let me tell you, God wants to show mercy, but you've got to be willing to repent of your sin and to turn to Christ as for salvation. And I pray you'll do that. Another uh, way we can apply this is, do you desire for God to bless and use you? Peter did. I really believe he did. He just he felt so unworthy to, to receive that. Well, then you must choose to forsake the insignificant, like Peter did, and and go after the eternally significant. You need you must, and really it's wrapped up in pursuing the Lord and trying to do what we've been looking at these last few weeks, and that is, let's follow Jesus around, let's see what He does, and let's imitate it. But I will tell you this: to follow Jesus is it is you must die to yourself. Peter didn't feel worthy to do it, but he was willing to do it. And when Jesus said, "Hey Peter, I'm going to make you a fisherman," Peter says, "Lord, I'll, I'll do it. I'll follow you." And I pray. Some of you will make that choice as well. If you do, would you contact me? I'd encourage, uh, be encouraged by hearing uh, your story of what God's doing in your life. May the Lord bless you. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Let me invite you to consider visiting us at Calkins. We have Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m., morning worship at 10 a.m., and a Sunday evening Bible study at 6.30 p.m. We also live stream on our Facebook page and upload services to YouTube. In fact, our 10 a.m. service is about to start if you'd like to watch. Further, you can access all radio sermons on our podcast at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Life and light, he